I skate to where the puck is going to be, not where it has been. My personal superpower, if there's like one thing that I think is, I'm really good at, I'm super curious. And it, you know, people can write, write, write all they want, but what are people doing? And if there's anybody that's out there doing, they know how hard it is to actually do. One of the reasons that I understood the vision that I had is because I studied perfume, I really wanted to be a perfumer. I studied pastry and um, art, and I knew there were cows nearby. Cause see, I'm a comic who became an actor. So I'm cheap, like, you know, back in the day, like you could only do one thing. One thing. This is Polymathic by 2 p.m. Welcome back to Polymathic Audio. Uh, I have my friend Alexis Gay with us today. Alexis was formerly the head of partnerships at Patreon, and she's recently gone out on her own to endure the creator economy. <laughs> Absolutely. So Alexis, uh, if you could boil it down in a few sentences, what did you learn from your time at Patreon and how will you apply that today? Wow. Amazing question. I was at Patreon for about three years, and I think that one of the most significant shifts that took place during my time there was the consumer, the fan's comfort level with, the, with this idea of being a member, with this idea of a creator-to-fan direct financial relationship. Because when I first started at Patreon and I would tell people about the idea, they would be like, oh, well, that's nice. It, does anyone do that? And fast forward three years, you know, Patreon's paid out a billion dollars to creators on track to pay out its second billion dollars to creators. And people are much more comfortable with this idea of paying the creators that they love directly for their content. So full disclosure, uh, 2pml.com is built with Memberful, yes. which I believe you guys acquired. That's correct. Um, I... I want to have this discussion. I think it's a really fascinating one. And I feel like this is probably the second or third edition of Polymathic Audio where I've mentioned Substack, but I prefer the technical stack that I have right now over Substack, even though there are mm -hmm. superior, there are advantages to using Substack. Um, totally. I am, I am a, I'm a fan of Memberful. So congratulations for owning them. Or at least <laughs> You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I guess what I'm saying is, so with Patreon, it's it's less platform agnostic, obviously. Like you're mm -hmm. transacting on Patreon, uh, on patreon.com rather. Like where where do you see Memberful going as Substack continues to gain speed? Well, here's what's so exciting, I think, about this moment in general for creators. The breadth of tools available for creators to monetize their work has never been more significant. So you talk about, oh, you say, I'm comfortable with the tech stack that I have now. Another creator might not want as much hands-on responsibility over designing their website, over figuring out what their tier structure should look like for their membership benefits. Somebody else might want a more plug and play option, which is what you see with something like Patreon and to some extent with something like Substack. Products like Memberful, which offer a much more customizable solution, I, I think are really much better suited for creators that want that full creative control over their brand and their offering and their back end. I would 100% agree. And so all that being said, I know we're talking about the money of creation. Yeah. I want to hear about what you're working on now, because we can't get to the money part until you have the creative part down. And I know that is what 
Uh, I feel like you're in a unique position because yeah. obviously you have such, you have such an experience with the economics of creation. I want to hear about your your art. Like, what are you going? What are you going to do? Absolutely, man! I'm so excited to find out. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I really am. It's it's been such an incredible experience to spend my career in tech so far, learn, as we talked about, you know, a lot about creator monetization, a lot about the ecosystem. And it feels like I got to study a topic uh, really in depth. And now I get to go out and see for myself. And that's really exciting to me. Something that I think is really funny that it, this makes me laugh whenever I think about it is that a lot of how I approach creative work is very similar to how I've actually approached a lot of my work in tech. Are you familiar with sort of the start with the skateboard methodology of product development? I can't skateboard, no. <laughs> okay, I definitely cannot skateboard. <laughs> no skateboarding required for this. <laughs> but it's the idea that instead of, if you want to build a car, instead of starting out day one and building a car, and you'd end up with sort of a lackluster version of a car, right? With no knowledge of how to do it or whatever. Instead of going right to that, start by building a skateboard. And then work on the skateboard and turn it into a scooter and then work on that and turn it into a bike and then a motorcycle and then ultimately a car. And the reason why I think that that method of product development is so applicable to creative work is that it speaks to the moment that we're in now where creators have more tools than ever before, not only to monetize, but also to make stuff. You don't need a camera crew and a six figure budget. You have an iPhone. You have iMovie, which comes free on your Mac. You can make that skateboard today for very, very little money. And all it takes is a fun idea and the focus to say, I'm going to do that. So I 100% agree with you. Do you have a strategy for the first few wheels of your skateboard? Ooh. Or is it too early to say? Great question. I, you know, I definitely have... Um, you know, I, one of the advantageous things about working in the, in the creator space is that I do feel like I was fortunate to, uh, kind of know a little bit about what I wanted before I, I decided to really go full time. And one of those things was starting my podcast, which I was lucky enough to have you as a guest on just a few weeks ago. That's really it was been hilarious. By the way. <laughs> I had so much fun. I have, I have so much fun recording those episodes. I get to meet the most interesting people and just have fun for an hour, you know? Right. Uh, that, I, listen, I, I think for the record, uh, and I'm sure we'll try to splice in a part of our former podcast or earlier podcast together. Um, I thought that the premise of the podcast was great. I think, I think it's refreshing for those that don't know. She has a podcast where she talks to people in and around business, but you do not talk about business at all. That's correct. Everything except their resumes. It's so fun to ask people who've accomplished so much. Do you believe in ghosts? <laughs> it's, uh, it's fascinating because I'm sure Everyone that's listening to this podcast, um, you typically only hear this side of people's discussion. Mm. So I strongly recommend you take a, a listen to what she's working on. Um, but back to it. Okay. Yeah. So like, what, what are the next steps? So you have the podcast now. Yep. Are, are you still doing, well, I guess you can't really do traditional stand-up right now, but tell everyone, <laughs> like, like, tell oh, everyone what that. you do. 
Yes, you absolutely. Know? I so I'm I'm a comedian and a podcast host. I do stand up comedy. Uh, you know when that's something that we're able to do, and I tell jokes and make videos online. And I miss stand up so much. You know, people reacting to things you make online. There's it's wonderful to see the connections you can establish without being in person. But I really miss making people laugh in real life. That's something I'm really looking forward to getting back to for sure. So the podcast is a really great intermediary. I'm loving doing that. That's definitely one of those wheels of my skateboard. And then as soon as I can safely, I want to get back to stand up. I miss it so much. Is there ever a possibility where you would do like a Zoom version of that? Is that even... I love that question because many people have asked that like, oh, have you been doing um, stand up on Zoom? And a lot of comedians have been and they've been doing it successfully. And I am so impressed by them. But the truth is that because I've been working, I felt like I spent all day on Zoom. And then the idea of spending additional time on Zoom, like broke my soul into a million pieces. So I haven't done any Zoom stand up comedy. And also my poor team that I was managing at Patreon, like, imagine what our D meetings were like, I'm basically just like working a tight five, you know, Hey, how's everybody's weekend? Oh, you know, like, so I already felt like I was doing a lot of on zoom performance. I didn't really want to add more. <laughs> That's a good point. Well, I guess as a backup, you, you could go to your ranch in Yellow Springs, Ohio and host 30 people there like Dave Chappelle. Yeah, well, right. That very relatable, accessible. <laughs> <option>. <laughs> I don't know why right, I haven't so done that yet. That's such a good idea. If, let me know if you ever, you know, feel like using your 10 to 15 acres and I'll, I'll be the first person there. Perfect. Um, so let's, let's switch gears a little bit. Yeah. So obviously um, we are in a very interesting time in this country mm-hmm. and it's, you know, I was thinking about this yesterday in the context of brand building. Mm. How do brands navigate these times? Yes. Meaning if you're a younger brand, you're not a household name. How do you continue to market your products through so much national turmoil? Mm. Number one, that's what I was thinking about yesterday because I'm planning on writing about it. Yeah. But for you, it's like, how do you navigate your personality, projecting Mm. your personality in times like these, right? Like, when do you go back to normal online? Yeah. Totally. And that's, I I think that is definitely something uh, brands have to think about. And then anyone really with any kind of audience or platform, you want to be entering and participating any conversation in a way that is additive. And something that I think about is, I think about, do I have a fresh angle on something? I'm guided by one principle, essentially, in most things that I do, which is that I want to bring as much joy into the world as possible. I know that sounds a little hokey, but it's true. That's truly what guides me. And so if I think that I can find a way into a conversation that brings joy and doesn't make the situation worse and doesn't speak from a perspective that I don't understand fully, then I'll do that. But if I worry at all that my contribution is not needed or is actually going to make people sad or make things feel worse or punch at a target that doesn't deserve it, I hold back. 
And I think that for brands, it's a really interesting conversation because I don't think that you're, you're of course, not necessarily going towards that same North Star of bringing people joy. You're going towards building a brand. And I think that these circumstances make brands and companies ask really hard questions about who they are. Because even though they're not people, they are still in so many ways, and now more than ever, of course, brands as personas, as personalities. Who are you? Are you the person that makes a snarky comment about Mitch McConnell? Or are you the person that's like, let's all come together and hug? You know, what does that say about your brand? You know, it's really funny because I had to publish yesterday and mm -hmm. I waited until as long as I could to hit send. <clears throat> and usually I'm really excited to do that. And it was a non-negotiable. So I yeah. had to get it out yesterday, right? Because yeah. that's what people pay for. Um, and on Twitter, I think I said something along the lines of, I, like, I know that this doesn't matter. Yep. I'm like, yep. I'm really sorry, but I, I had to send it because I don't want to let people down who actually want to read it. But I know this is not the most pressing matter. Totally. Um, I, I, I just wonder the range of that behavior that you will see from brands over the next several days as I suspect things will get worse before they get better. You know, I think that what's interesting about people who are accountable to their own self online, so people who publish under their own name for, you know, you on your personal Twitter, me on my personal Twitter, for example, um, the difference between that and a brand is that I, I don't think that brands worry as much about, uh, or rather, perhaps they don't see not contributing as as much of an option. It always seems to me like brands are trying to find a way, find a way in no matter what, and very rarely sort of taking a moment off to say, we don't need to be a part of this conversation. Whereas I think that people, when because I'm accountable to myself, it's me out there. If I know that there's a conversation happening that I can't add to, I do sit it out. And I don't think that brands feel that way as much. What do you think? I... <clears throat> I think that the savviest marketers consider it. Okay. I don't think that the vast majority of them do. Um, people were still running Facebook ads yesterday. Yeah. I saw a number of tweets that I actually thought were good tweets that essentially said things like, bro, no one cares about your startup. Yeah. Right. Like I, I have a typical rhythm to what I talk about on Twitter. Right. And yesterday for me, it was like, I don't think that anyone cares about this right now. So I'm just going to keep my mouth shut, but not just because I don't think people care, but because it's just improper. Right. Yeah. Like it's, there's, there's a, so right. there's just a, there's a way to tweet through things. Obviously we all do. I'm sure everyone has their own personal issues that they balance, but, but when you have something as grave as, you know, the threat of the end of, the Republic, it's right. like, uh, let's not talk about parade underwear right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's talk about moving forward. So we're two, let's say two months from now, yeah. March. Yes. And, uh, things are quasi back to normal. And frankly, we're probably going to be listening to politicians talk about the 2022 midterms. I know. God, <laughs> it's going to be so painful. And, Ooh. but you're back to normal. I'm back to normal. Okay. Ooh, yeah, I like that. This is a great yeah. thought experiment. Let's put awesome. this out there into the universe. <laughs> um, we can all get back to normal. We can all be ourselves online and, and, and do our thing without mm. having to wonder about how people will perceive it. 
how do you frame right now? Like, how do you make people feel joy about what we've experienced over the last, let's call it three to four months? Sure. For or me, is that even out of bounds for you? For me, it's all about what is relatable. What's something that we all experienced together or what's something we all went through and what was interesting about that? How did it feel? For me personally, the funniest things are the things that make me go, oh my God, that's so true. I never thought of that. That's hilarious. And so a lot of what I try to do is figure out what do we have in common that we are all going through in this time. And it was a pretty interesting time to do comedy over the last several months. And it will continue. Any time is an interesting time to do comedy, <laughs> but you know, you know, and I'm sure the next few months also promise to be interesting as well, but what, what does it feel like? What's happening? And then also what, what is, um, what are we not talking about? What are we, what are we putting on airs about? And then what are we being more honest about? You know, something very interesting, I think about the last, um, six to 10 months is I just saw a lot more honesty about how people were doing and feeling. And there was a lot of humor that came from our shared acknowledgement that we were in some ways acting completely out of the ordinary, you know, people constantly talking about how, you know, they haven't, haven't worn jeans in six months or something like that. Just little moments of honesty that I think were creeping through in a way we haven't seen before. And so I like to play with that as well. I think that's a lot of fun. <clears throat> So I think that you're 100% right. Um, that being said, so when you are up and running and you are fully embraced within the, the independent creator economy, um, how do you how do you monetize that? Like where how do you do that independently? Like are you trying to take this next step as a launch pad into Alexis Gay's Netflix special or <laughs> Or are you, are you more focused on essentially being the first of the creator economy that's focused on comedy? Hmm. Because I, I don't think that the masses really see that very often. Which, which, which path is more appealing to you? That's a really great question. And something that I have thought about a lot as I was deciding what to do next uh, you know, to take, to make this decision and what I want to do next in my career is I think that there is a lot of pressure to, uh, to make it, to succeed in this big sort of capital S success way. And I thought, I think about it a little bit more like this, which is that when you go on a really nice hike and you get back, people don't ask you, Oh, was that a successful hike? They say, how was it? And that's how I feel about this period of time for me, which is I, I'm not looking for some sort of end goal where I can, you know, hang it on my wall and say, aha, I did it. I truly just want to know what this feels like because I've spent so many years of my career essentially studying it or working behind the scenes and understanding how things work. I feel like I have a rudimentary map. I feel like my bag is packed. I have some supplies and I'm sitting at the base of this mountain going, wonder what the view is going to look like. Wonder what the weather's like up there. Wonder what I'll find. So that's how I feel about the next six months for me personally, in terms of my goals. I think that's a very healthy way of looking at it. Um, you know, it reminds me with 
2 p.m., for instance, um, uh, it was a purely passion-driven project. Mm -hmm. um, so, ironically, it's five years now. Wow. And, uh, Congratulations. That's huge, yeah, that's like a huge sort of milestone for, for anything that you do, right? And um, so I told myself, I'm going to commit to 180 letters. They're going to go out five days a week. Wow. And I did that. And I remember getting to, you know, two specific points that I won't forget. Um, I got to 180 and I, I said to myself, I'm probably going to quit. Okay. And <laughs> I was like, I did it already. I'm, I did what I said I was going to do. I accumulated however many subscribers it was. Yep. I'm going to quit. This is a lot of work. And then I remember going through my subscriber list and being like, wait, wait a second. This person would have never talked to me. This is cool. Maybe I should continue to foster these relationships, you know? Um, there's that. And then the second part was, okay, if I am going to finish this, then I should probably find a way to monetize it. And that's when I made the big pivot to WordPress, Memberful, so on and so forth. Um, and it was actually a conversation with the founder of Gear Patrol, who I was working for. And he was like, this seems like what you want to do. So you should just go do it. And wow. I was like, yep. Yep. And I think, I think I went all in like six weeks later. Wow. So uh, much of what you said, I, I, it, re it really speaks to me. One of the things that you mentioned was uh, well, to paraphrase, sort of like the who is in your audience instead of the how many. And yes. something that I really love about that is that I think a lot about building for your audience, not just building for an audience. And I think that can apply whether you're doing a newsletter, whether you're making comedy, whether you're building a product. Are you are you building simply for growth or are you building to have the right people using your product service or enjoying your content because ultimately and then this is the pivot to monetization ultimately the people who really connect with what you do are the ones who are going to find enough value in it to pay for it so it might be more right. advantageous to say hey my audience is smaller and that's okay because every single person is in it for what i'm making than to say okay gotta hit a million gotta hit two million and so on and so forth if you're not really building an audience that's going to be there for you when you're going to pivot and try something new so i i think that you you've hit the nail on the head um when you know as you pick this up and as you're on your own you will feel this urge right like there's there's this urge to grow everyone is so fixated on numbers mm. right and it's it's actually a poor, it's a poor marker for success in some ways. Totally. Totally. Um, uh, especially now, given, for instance, I'm in the quote unquote newsletter industry. Right. And so you, you hear about millions of subscribers or hundreds of thousands of subscribers. And, you know, Morning Brews acquired at a $75 million valuation and so on and so forth. Yep. And yep. you think that that's the way, but I don't think that that's the way for the vast majority of creators. It doesn't, I think that it doesn't, doesn't way. have to be. It, and that's what I, that's what is so exciting is that there is no longer one path forward to creative success, to creative independence, to even financial success for creators. And I think that what's so fascinating to me is this idea of 
knowing how many people are in your audience down to the literal single digit number is so new. You know, Steve Martin doing stand up, right? When he first started, I, I just bring him up because he was very commercially successful at the time. And oh, also, if you haven't read his autobiography, Born Standing Up, it's fantastic. Very funny. Very. You know, I want to I pause you there yeah. because since, since we're talking about the same era of comedic genius, mm-hmm. I'm not going to read anything that you suggest until you watch oh, the no. movie that I'm telling you to watch for the last six weeks. Oh, God, I've been found out. I'm so sorry. No, I'm going to watch it. I told you my plan, though, is I want to watch it with my mom's fiance because I think this is a bonding opportunity for us because he's an Eddie Murphy fan. And I think this is really going to seal the deal on our friendship, me and my mom's fiance. (laughs) Okay. Okay. For everyone that doesn't know, uh, on on our previous podcast edition, we discussed why she should watch Trading Places, and she promised me that she would. It's, it's my favorite movie of all time. And uh, I think I recorded that four or five weeks ago. And I have not, <laughs> I have not been fulfilled. So I, I really there we go. on that one. I really, okay. That's totally fair. That's totally fair. Um, but to your point, I, I do want to know your, the, I, I do want to know the comedians that inspire you. Oh yeah. You know, what's so interesting when uh, there are several comedians who I take inspiration from for sure. And some who I don't take any inspiration from, but whom I love and listen to all the time. And then there are people outside of the creative space who I look to as sort of my, uh, they're, they're almost just like guiding lights for me on staying creatively fresh and innovative. So in terms of comedians that I really admire, and who I love. I love John Mulaney uh, and Mike Birbiglia are my two favorite stand-up comedians. And then from a writing perspective, uh, Tina Fey is a massive inspiration to me. 30 Rock has shaped so much of my uh, my comedic tone. Amy Poehler as well for her work on not just Saturday Night Live, but also on Parks and Recreation. I'm a big comedy TV show fan. I'm a big uh, TV comedy TV fan in general. So a lot of my inspiration comes from, uh, or rather a lot of the people who've worked in that space are, are people who inspire me. And then I look at other people outside of comedy and somebody who comes to mind a lot for me recently is actually Lady Gaga, who obviously is one Interesting. of the, yeah, who's one of the, of course, my most successful pop artists ever totally separate from anything I would want to do. You know, it, music is, uh, not for me, uh, and her art and her pop art and everything. It's just not, you know, what I'm passionate about, but what I love so much about what she's built is that she has refused to stop reinventing herself. And she, to me is the biggest mainstream example of someone who built an audience and then basically said to this audience, come on this ride with me. She didn't say, I'm going to deliver you poker face and bad romance every single time. She kept growing and kept changing, you know, to then star in a film uh, with Bradley Cooper to make the music for that movie. That was a pivot to make a record about her, um, a member of her family uh, called Joanne. That was a little bit of a pivot for her. And then to kind of, in some ways, return to her roots with Chromatica, which was this summer and massively successful. That was a cool pivot for her. And I just really love seeing somebody with mainstream commercial success. And I think it's a lot harder to do when you actually have that level of fame, because how many hands are in the Lady Gaga till at this point? You know, how many people's salaries and livelihoods are reliant on her commercial success 
when you're at that level. I think it's much harder to make those bold choices than it is when you have an audience of 50,000 people and you're making money online. And so I looked at her as somebody who I'm like, hell yeah, keep going. Even at the highest level, you can always push yourself creatively. You can always reinvent yourself. So here's a, here's a question for you. I feel like we, I, I think about this through the lens of sports because you mentioned one of the most talented people on the face of the planet, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, is she a success because she continues to reinvent herself or is she a success or can she reinvent herself rather because she's one of the most talented people to, to walk the face of the planet? Oh, and I, 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 I mentioned sports. I mentioned sports because here's the parallel. And I don't know if you're a sports fan, but if, if you're not, here's what you typically hear people talk about when they comment on professional sports. Okay, tell They'll me. They'll say, like, look at this football player or this basketball player. They did it right growing up. They played three sports. They didn't specialize. And look at them now. They are in the league. Mm. When in actuality, they are in the league because they're one of the finest human specimens, specimens in all of Earth. And if you are that, then you can also play multiple sports in high school and be really great at it. You see the argument? Yeah, totally. Totally. Hmm. So I guess what I'm saying is like, do you, do do you feel like everyone can follow that same mold of perpetual reinvention, even if they don't have her singing, songwriting, acting, music, instrument playing, sort of comedic bent? Yes, unequivocal. Yes. And the reason is that I'm a firm believer in the notion that talent is really only one piece of the puzzle. Um, okay. Have you read the book Grit by Angela Duckworth? I have. I love that. I'm looking book. at it right now. Are you really? Yeah. I love it's on my that wall. book. Yeah. I. I. And so I, I'll borrow a little bit from how she presents the nature of grit. I believe she says it is something to the effect of, uh, you know, a combination of passion and perseverance. And she talks a lot about this in her book, that talent is really only one piece of the puzzle. People who were, quote, successful or who reach the top of their field are those that exhibited the most grit. So a willingness to keep going when you get knocked down, a willingness to, uh, you know, keep writing when you don't feel like writing, keep running when you don't feel like writing and things like that. And so I think that, of course, talent gives you a, a head start. A lot of things can give you a head start. Connections, talent, financial resources, et cetera. And some people may be farther ahead than you when they first start because of reasons like that. But the thing that we all as individuals have control over is how much grit we apply to whatever we're trying to do. That's really the only, it might, this is, and this is just my opinion, but I really think that's the thing we can control. I can't control what anyone else has or started with or did or didn't or who they know or whatever. All I can control is how hard I work. That's it. And so that's what I focus on. And whether it's music or comedy or truly anything else, I, you know, I also take a lot of inspiration from certain founders. I mean, I know I worked for him, so this makes me sound <laughs> so lame, but the founder of Patreon, Jack Conti, is a massive inspiration to me. He is a professional musician who identified a flaw in the way the system was working to get him and other creative people paid. And he did something about it. And he still plays out shows. I went to a concert where my CEO crowd surfed. How cool is that? That <laughs> is actually, so badass. Yeah. So I, when I was doing work alongside of Cotton Bureau back in maybe 2017, 
um, there were a number of conversations between that group and Jack. And like, I was, a, hmm. I, that was when I was first introduced. Really? And I was, I, yeah, I was a huge fan of, of Jack and just his personality and what he would do on YouTube and just how like, how forward thinking he was. Absolutely. Um, it, it's, it's truly magnificent. It, it makes me actually, you know, obviously the PM and 2PM stands for polymathic. Yep. I believe that the more so you are a deep generalist, the better you are prepared to focus on your work. Yeah. Right. Um, <clears throat> and he's one of those people. Obviously, he, he's running a tech company. He's he has comedic comedic talent. He has mu musical talent. God knows what else he does well. And I, I just think that that's one of those stories that I, I wish people would pay attention more more often to. A hundred percent. And I am so excited to see what Jack continues to do. I mean, I'm long on Patreon. Look, there's no denying it. I love, I love putting tools in the hands of creators to help them be financially independent. It's obviously what drew me to the company. It's what kept me there for three years. I'm long on that concept and, and on that product in particular. And I'm excited to see what somebody like Jack with all of that talent and all of that grit does. We don't know. And it's like, you know, I'm excited to see all these other people do. This is why I'm such a big Lady Gaga fan. It's like, what is she going to do next? Let's find out. So, so I love, I love what you're saying. You're talking about grit. I want to ask you about everything that it took to get you to this point. Sure. Like, tell me about your, let's start with, with high school, Alexis in high school. <laughs> you're, you're the coolest kid in your school. Oh, so popular. Let's, let's take it from there. Sure. Um, in high school, I for and this was true of my entire academic career, I was always very split down the middle between being a regular nerd and a theater nerd. So very committed to school and academics and getting good grades and equally as committed to doing the school play and being in chorus and, you know, dressing up on Halloween way over the top, all that kind of stuff. I would not say that I was successful socially. <laughs> I was, you know, and I, I know why, which is, I think I know why anyway, which is that I think when you are in high school, I think that caring really deeply about stuff is not cool. And I just really care about the stuff that I work on. And I always have. And I just don't think at the time that was a cool thing. I wonder actually, though, perhaps it's different now in high school. I see a lot of passion coming out of young people. And I think that's shifted. In what way? Well, it seems now like being really passionate about a cause you believe in, for example, as a teenager, I see a lot of exciting companies being started from people who haven't even, you know, joined college yet, being passionate about a cause or a company or a concept. Those seem like things now that young people, you know, I'm thinking like late teens, early 20s are actually really supportive of and excited about. And it felt a little bit more like when I was in high school that there was one path to quote success and that that was a little bit narrowly defined to be, you know, all the typical stuff, right? Like be super good looking, be very good at sports, uh, you know, that kind of good stuff. And I think that now it seems like it's opened up a little bit more, but I don't know. Cause I, I don't really interact with a lot of, <laughs> a lot of high schoolers. <laughs> um, fair enough. So that's actually an interesting point. And I want to touch on that for a second before we move on to college, given that you are a comedian. Yep. And I would say the foremost 
platform for, for comedy right now is probably TikTok. Mm-hmm. Would it would it would it be beneficial to tap into how those high schoolers think at this point? Hmm. This is something I I definitely I definitely think about a lot, and I I think about you know more so than just for myself, but just more broadly. What is uh, what's the value and what's the cost of investing time in a platform that doesn't feel right for you in this moment, but is clearly where the the, the audience, the zeitgeist is going or congregating in that moment. And I, I don't really know where I stand on this yet because I've seen both paths be successful. To one extent, you need to keep an eye on your industry and where the audience is going to be because it we would be repeating history over and over again to think that Twitter and Instagram are going to be at the top forever. They're not. They're going to be Facebook in a few years. No? Isn't that just how things go at this point? Haven't we learned that? These things come and go? <laughs> And so I think that it's advantageous to know what's happening. However, I would also say that if you are trying to be somebody else by joining these platforms, that's where I think you run into trouble. I think that you need to continue to be yourself and bring yourself wherever you are. And and you can, I, of course, take inspiration from other people, but I don't want to try to be somebody else just to like get algorithmic success somewhere uh, inorganically. I, I think that that's, that's the way that you have to be. I think that that's uh, incumbent upon any creator, just like we talked about the size of the audience, yeah. is to is to never waver. Obviously, you need to learn. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying don't learn and don't adjust, but like never waver from what you are, who you are, what you represent. Absolutely. Um, so moving on from high school, where'd you go to school? How did you get into tech? Yep. Why not go directly into comedy moving forward? Oh, what a question. I love this question. So I went to NYU. I went to a school at NYU called Gallatin, which is the school for individualized study. So it allows you to design your own concentration, taking classes both at Gallatin and at other schools at NYU. And it was absolutely the perfect fit for me because like I said, it always felt sort of split. I didn't want to go study you know, drama or something in the entertainment space specifically, because I felt like college was my chance to expand what I knew, what I'd been exposed to. So I wanted a more, more traditional degree, but I, I wanted it to, I wanted it to feel like I could still explore what I was passionate about. And even at the time I was still very passionate about, uh, performance and about acting and all that stuff. And so I went to Gallatin and I was able to build a concentration around essentially like entertainment and, uh, and media more or less. And then I was able to couple that with a business minor in something NYU offers called the business of entertainment, media, and technology. So cool. So cool. You can also, I think you can also concentrate in that if you're at the business school, but I loved having that as my business minor. And then I was able to take all kinds of fascinating classes for my concentration, including things that you wouldn't normally expect, you know, like um, Plato's narrators and the Socratic irony or American history in the 70s and 80s, just things that sort of taught me about people and ways of thinking. It was fantastic. I, I really feel like Gallatin was the perfect place for me. And then the question of how I got into tech is interesting. So of course there was interested in it. I was interested in it. You know, I'd spent time. Um, I I've always been sort of into, uh, like computers, <laughs> you know, like a computer kid made little videos and stuff. And 
when I uh, was deciding what I wanted to do after school, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to do, uh, I'll, I'll get an internship that will give me flexibility to audition if I want to as an actress. And at the time, my best friend was working at uh, Techstars. And he was, I was just like, man, Steve's life is cool. <laughs> it's like, Steve wears what he wants to work and they have snacks there. And it, he just gets to talk about work. Like he's so excited about what he does. I'm going to look into tech companies. That sounds great. And so I got an internship at a tech startup. It was an internship on the sales team. It's a company that at the time enabled large-scale private events in New York at nightclubs during their off hours with a platform that allowed you to form a host committee and then have everybody on the host committee invite their friends to this event. And essentially, it was a way to crowdsource funding for these large-scale private parties at cool venues. And I joined it with the intention of, oh, this is great. I'm an intern. I can get paid hourly and then I can audition and figure out what I want to do. And then I showed up and it was like it, it, day one, it was like getting struck by lightning. I was hooked on this idea that in this environment, in a tech startup, a young startup, six months old, all I had to do to be successful was work hard. That was it. That was it. That was what was standing between me and success at this company. And then contrast that with something like acting where there are so many things standing between you and success that you have no control over that somebody else does at the time, especially, you know, and especially as a young woman, there are a lot of people standing between you and then this permission to do that thing that you love acting, performing, whatever. But at this tech startup, all I, I was 21 years old and they would say, Hey, does anyone want to run this thing? And I'd be like, yes, I do. And they'd be like, great let us know how it goes. <laughs> that was it. And so I just did that over and over and over again for three years. And I left as our director of business development um, for the arts and culture space. And I, I just, that experience was so mission critical to me understanding the way that tech, some companies do allow you to simply learn and grow and experiment and fail uh, over and over and over again. And that, that that too can be a path to success. So here is the big question. And because I know that we're getting near our time, mm -hmm. um, there's a new question I'd like to ask my guests because I think that people are going to have a lot to learn from you. Um, you're an operator. You have the education. You innovate in a lot of ways. I've always been a fan of your work long before I knew you personally. Thank you. Um, What's the one question that you wish I would have asked you? Hmm. Wow. That's a great question. The thing that's coming to mind for me is that implicit in my response to that is what's the thing that I would want to talk about? What's the thing? Yes. That I, and then thus, what's the thing that I think people should hear? And I have sort of, I think, a complicated relationship with that idea that something you know, the people need to hear from me, you know, that I have some secret, some wisdom to unlock. And so I'm trying to think about what it is that I have that's a, or that I know or have experienced that's a differentiator for me. You know, you know what I mean? That you couldn't just go and Google or, or couldn't just read online. And I think that 
I, I think one thing that I can speak to from personal experience is that once I let go of the idea of failure, it feels like my life cracked wide open. And it took failing in so many ways for that to happen. I, like I said, I cared a lot about school, very academically minded. Failure is an A minus, right? Failure is a B plus. And then as I got older and I I, uh, spent more time in my career and I looked around at all the ways in which people were taking these big, bold bets and thinking, God, I wish I was brave enough to do something like that. I realized that it was my own perception of what it meant to fail that was holding me back. And then I just sort of thought, yeah, that's not real. That's not real. If you know, you can call something a failure or you can call it a learning experience or you can call it an opportunity to grow. But I no longer believe in this idea of just pure failure to the point that you can't recover from it or to the point that it it marks you in some way such that you can't move forward. And that I, that is when I, it really feels like I was able to start fully bringing myself to everything that I do. I think that that's a beautiful way to end this conversation. Alexis, it's been a pleasure getting to know you over the last several months. Uh, I'm excited to continue following you as you emerge as a leader in the creative economy space. Um, And I hope that everyone that's listening today will at least take away something that they can apply to their lives or businesses. Oh my God, Webb, I'm so flattered that you wanted to talk to me on your podcast. And I'm so glad that we got to connect. It's so wonderful to to talk with you more. And I, I love talking about this stuff. So this has been such a treat. 